would you eat that donut that was on the floor? Um, yeah, I mean, I would gladly eat that donut off the floor because they it looks like they clean it like yeah. fairly okay. well. And you know, I mean, I I don't have any shame. Like, I don't have any shame in that game. Um, if that floor looked clean and a donut fell off it, sure, why not? <laughs> Hello everyone, this is Turuturo, the Filipino restaurant podcast, where each week we profile restaurants or food trucks serving delicious Filipino cuisine. This is your host, Gene Karangal, avid home cook and event promoter for the Adobo Throwdown Cooking Competition and Food Expo. I'm here with Dan Castro owner-operator of Eversoul Culinary and the Manila Rice Pop-Up Restaurant. A little bit about myself. Um, I was born in the Philippines. Um, I emigrated to Los Angeles with my parents and family when I was 13 years old. And then I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, through a scholarship through um, Curious for Culinary Arts Program. Um, so I was there for about four years finishing up my business degree as well in culinary arts management. After that, I went to the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I did an apprenticeship for three years. I did like several rotations from steakhouses, brasseries, like banquet cooking, baking and pastry, and even like a stand in HR when I broke my finger. Um, oh, that's fun nice. story. Um, and then- we'll get into that later. Yeah, absolutely. I love sharing that story. And then um, after my three and a half year apprenticeship at the Broadmoor, I went here to Austin where I wanted to work at Uchiko. So um, my resume is fairly slim, but I was at Uchiko for four and a half years before I started Eversol. So for those who don't know, so Uchiko is a, that's a sushi restaurant in Austin, Texas, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it's actually gotten a lot of accolades, like um, from, I believe, James Beard is the most important one, food and wine. Um, yeah, mostly I want to go to Uchiko because I wanted to consolidate my knowledge. Um, I am an Asian cook, first and foremost, and there weren't a lot of Filipino fine dining restaurants at the time. So Uchiko was like the second closest option that I had, and they hired me. So I'm like, all right, cool, let's get this go. Yeah. Just some, I, I want to share something with uh, my background with that with Uchiko. Uh, as a patron, Uchiko is a very high end restaurant. I mean, I mean, for for my taste, it's very high end. And I've only eaten there twice. And I've been fortunate enough that somebody else paid for my dinner. <laughs> so it was like I don't know how that happened. I think one time uh, we were there for somebody's birthday and then somebody else paid and then we were there to meet somebody for lunch it was like a double date and then the it was a double date it was a blind date for the other couple and the guy paid for everybody so I was very fortunate I didn't have to pay but they have amazing food just amazing food for sure. I think there's always something to be said about when someone gives you food for or someone pay, someone else pays for your meal, right? I feel like that's a bit of a hospitality thing, and I think it definitely hits different. So there's just something about, like, giving something away, like, out of um, kindness and gratitude or whatever it is that they want to do. And 
yeah, you kind of like enjoy the food more. So I guess sometimes at Uchiko, as sushi chefs, we would give like one or two things away. And they're really amazed by like that simple gesture of hospitality. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you more about your your tenure at Uchiko. Four and, and a half years, that's like a lifetime for a, a restaurant gig, right? Because there's a lot of, what I hear, right, is there's a lot of turnover when it comes to, uh, you, you, you know, working in the restaurant. So four and a half years is a, a long time. Yeah, um, so I started out there as a pantry cook. Um, I worked my way up, down, and all around. So um, what happened was, I think I got to saute, um, which is like the highest station in the kitchen there, and then I eventually became a turnout. But there kind of came a time in my life where my car broke down, and I felt a little bit like, I was doing a lot more work for myself than I felt like I had to. So I felt that pressure and I wanted to step back and like reevaluate my life. And the chef de cuisine at the time was just like, yeah, um, you got to do what you got to do. The restaurant will always be the restaurant. Um, I respect your decision. So then I was going to leave like after two years. But the funny thing that happened is that um, high hospitality started opening up a lot more restaurants Um in the situation was Denver. So they were losing a bunch of sushi chefs. So um, the head sushi chef at the time, um, who I consider a friend and a mentor, um, he came up to me and asked me if I want to learn sushi. I'm like, uh, I don't know anything about it. But he's like, I'll teach you. I'm like, okay, um, we'll see how much patience you have, I guess. So it was just one of those things I got thrown into the fire. Um, and I got thrown into the busiest station in the restaurant, which is like the sushi roll station. So it was just like trial by fire. I kind of just like kept doing it and doing it. And, you know, as someone who does a lot of like endurance runs, marathons, um, I play sports for fun. There's kind of like some mental tenacity needed to last that long in like a big league restaurant. So I just kind of applied that and went and see where it naturally went. And that's where it went. So my tenure doubled, but it was very unintentional, but it was also a blessing in disguise. That's the way I put it. Okay. So I want to, I want to go back to uh, what you did before Uchiko. So where were you before that? So going backwards. Yeah, that's fine. I love going backwards. Um, so beforehand, I was at the Broadmoor. Um, yeah, be- so... The Broadmoor is where? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the Broadmoor is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's uh, one of the few five-star, five-diamond hotels in the country. So it's a huge resort. Um, there's like a bridge in between them. So yeah, uh, that's just to give you a perspective of how big it is. Uh, so... I after I graduated culinary school in New York, I went to the Broadmoor because I was looking for an apprenticeship program. Like I wasn't really keen about my cooking skills um, because I was doing a lot more book work and such. So I wanted to get more like hands-on experience. Um, first thing that happened is um, I got hired on as a cook one, which is pretty much like the next thing to a junior sous chef. And apparently I sucked at it. So no, I mean, so, it, it, it's what, just- what, what, what happened? It's just a real thing. Like, you know, um, I haven't been cooking professionally on the line for like two and a half years and I didn't have an idea of how it worked. Um, But, you know, because I said on my resume that I'm from the CIA and like 
someone would look at that and say, oh, he's probably a decent cook, but um, in actuality, I wasn't, and I'm okay with facing that reality. So they demoted me to a prep cook with like the same pay, but um, I feel like I improved a lot there as a cook in that general area because I learned how to organize myself. So I was just like, now I could out prep anyone if I really wanted to, like, that's my area of strength. Um, so that happened. And then the apprenticeship started. So the apprenticeship was a three-year program, I believe. Yeah. So on our first year, we would go every Thursday. Our second year, we would go every Wednesday. And then we would go every Tuesday on our third year. Um, what we covered was basically everything that we did at the, um, CIA plus it's kind of like a work study program right like you're learning as you rotate through the restaurants like for example I would be placed in a pub and then next after like three months I would be in a brasserie the next three months I would be in a bakery so we're also getting hands-on experience while going to Denver like once a week to study those like principles like the book stuff Okay. So yeah. when this was all going on, so you were just going in like once a week. What did you, what were you doing outside of that? Um, I mean, we we're pretty much like cooking at the hotel, like oh, okay. 10 to 14 hours a day if that. So, oh, okay. yeah. So we were going to school like once a week and then every, like every like other six days or five days we were working. So that was kind of like our life. Um, just because the hotel was constantly busy, there was a lot of like conferences, there's a lot of food to make, we have a lot of like people that travel from other country and all that. So there's a lot of clientele there and con- food has to be like constantly made for that clientele. Okay. And yeah. then before that, uh, so when did you go to, when did you graduate from culinary school? So I graduated culinary school around July 2013. Um, Yeah, and I didn't know what I was going to do at that time either because I stodged in New York for a front of house position. But then at the same time, like I wanted to cook more. I feel like that's where my heart was. And I don't know, there was just something about New York that I didn't like. I think it was just the living expenses and how small it is and I don't know just the idea of not having a car kind of like didn't appeal to me so I went to Colorado okay and then for those who don't know what stodge means what does that mean that which includes me what does stodge mean sure so stodging means that you go to a restaurant for a day um, you see what the operation's like you spend about like four or five hours or sometimes like a whole shift just seeing what the kitchen feels or what the restaurant feels like, see if you like the working environment, and then you kind of make a decision after a few days if you want to work there or not. So it's like a working interview in the okay. short. Cool. Thank, thank you for that. So now I know what Sydney from the Bear actually means when she said stodge. Yeah, you, exactly. Have you seen that? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen that series on FX. Oh, yeah. The Bear. Um, I've seen the bear. Um, I saw it come out and then I just decided to binge watch it all. Um, I have a bad habit of doing it. It's like reading a book. If I'm going to read a book, I just want to read it straight through. So that's what I did. All right. So let me ask this, and I've never asked this before of anyone, but how much of the bear could you relate to? Um, Over half of it. Um, So the funny part about it is that 
there was a meme, right? They're like, out of all the details in the bear, the one that they really appreciate is like drinking out of like a deli cup, like a plastic cup. Because that is something that we do on the regular. Like sometimes I would go to the gym, I would have like a deli cup and they're like, WTF are you drinking out of? I'm like, I don't know. It's like a water jug. Like it's efficient. You pop it up and close it down. Like be gone with it. So yeah, uh, that's the funny part. Uh, Secondly, there are just some times where tensions run high in the kitchen. So we kind of get yelled at every now and then. Um, But yeah, and, you know, I think I could relate to Sydney in a lot of senses where a lot, uh, there was also a part there where they said that, oh, um, I've talked to people that you work for, um, they said that you're a little impatient and everything, and I feel like that's what I am sometimes as a cook. Um, Like, especially, you know, I've always wanted to move up quick enough and not, like, learn the ins and outs of, like, a very little thing, so... I'm a very impatient person in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, just some of the few things that I could relate from that, I suppose. Okay. And um, would you eat that donut that was on the floor? Um, yeah, I mean, I would gladly eat that donut on the floor because they it looks like they clean it like yeah. fairly okay. well. And, you know, I mean, I have I don't have any shame. Like, I don't have any shame in that game. Um, if that floor looked clean and a donut fell off it, sure, why not? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because uh, yeah, when I saw that episode and the guy just threw the do- Marcus's donut, when Carm just threw Marcus's donut on the floor, I assumed that, okay, well, nobody tasted it. And it turns out, like, didn't Carm eat it? And also Sydney also t- took a bite? Yeah, I-, I think that's called, like, a... I think that's just stress eating. You find something yeah. in the floor where you're like, you eat it, you're in the middle of the heat, the moment you just do it without any, any like disregard for anything. So yeah, yeah. I think that's what happened or that's what they're trying to portray in that situation. Okay. So um, now I wanted to actually go back to your, uh, when you were growing up, you, you said, I know, I know I'm going backwards here. You, 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 the format usually is we go, we talk about your family first, then you talk about your school, then we talk about, so we went way backwards. So I'm going to keep the, this backwards theme and, and ask you to talk about your family. Grow, okay. So you grew up in the Philippines? Yeah, I grew up in the Philippines for around 13 years. Um, I remember my mom went to Missouri to see her best friend for like a hot minute. And then she started working there on a visa from what I could remember and then one day um, at the dinner table like my mom's in the United States my dad's in the Philippines so my mom just sends me an email hey do you want to go to the states and check it out and then my dad asked me the same question because my dad got that email first before I did so I'm just like yeah sure Um, I didn't know that was such a monumental turn um so I guess in terms of family at the time, like my mom and dad were separated, but they were married on paper. Um, so that's what happened. Uh, I moved to the States at 13. And then my aunt had a son who I essentially considered my brother at this point. Um, he kind of helped me assimilate in the United States culture. Uh, he introduced me to a lot of things like country music, shamelessly being one of them. Um, Panda Express being like another like a beef and broccoli and orange chicken combination mm-hmm. still love it um, so yeah he really taught me about that 
type of thing. And the kind of family that we had or that I had growing up was like I had an aunt, my mom, and my brother, and that was our family. So it was really weird in a sense because it's not a traditional family structure, kind of like a full house type of thing, you know, where it's just like um like Bob Saget and like Dave Collier and all that and like Mary and Ashley, right? It's like a very nuclear thing. So it was a very unusual family structure, but yeah. So let me ask this for when when you were growing up, or the when you when you first came to the States, what was the biggest culture shock? Like what surprised you the most? Um, what surprised me the most? Ooh, um, the education system. So the education system in the United States so when I first got here was really weird. Um, I think the concept of middle school was really weird because back in the Philippines, I remember it was like first grade to sixth, and then you made the jump straight to high school. So then I made the assumption that at 13, I was going to go to high school, but no, I had to go to like seven, eighth, seven and eighth grade. So that was the first culture shock that I got. Secondly, I say that it's the educational system because I didn't realize the diversity of what the United States has in terms of its people. So um, some of my classmates were white, some of my classmates were Latino, some of my classmates were black. So just like the diversity in Los Angeles alone was just so whoa. And I didn't know, I just didn't know like the history behind those cultures as well. So the culture shock and on top of like educational things, what we learn in school is just like, I'm having to learn what each person is like and what the context of their of their life is such so like oh man like I didn't know this happened to you I'm sorry if I offended you because I know nothing about it uh-huh. so learning the ABCs like literally in school and like learning like people's histories is just a very hard thing so it's almost like it almost meshed um and I didn't know what was what so I'm like okay cool <laughs> I guess that's just what it is <laughs> Yeah, I can kind of relate because I came to the United States when I was 14. Yeah. And I remember in grade school, uh, it was primarily all, of course, that we're all Filipino, except for maybe one guy who was in, from India. And we actually had one person who was a Caucasian who, um, but by the time, like, but then he was my classmate since like first grade. So by the time they get to like sixth grade, I mean they they speak the language, you know, fluently. They speak Tagalog fluently. So you kind of look at, I mean, you're the we're all we were all the majority. So we never thought of other cultures, right? We were probably very, I was probably very insensitive back then of other cultures. I I didn't know about the other cultures, so I can totally relate to what you went through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, you know, once I learned about like the cultures, and then I go to culinary school, I guess, fast forward a lot of years, right? Like I started learning about cuisines of the Americas, like this is what Latin food is, this is what like, African American food is, or like, this is what Chinese food is, or whatever, it just kind of like opened up like the relationship between like culture and food because culture has something to do with food like this is what people ate when they were working the fields this is what 
people ate when they were traveling through the seas and then like oh wow this makes so much more historical and um historical context and it actually brings a lot more respect to the food it's just not like oh um we're doing this for the sake of doing this because we, it would make money but no like one it's delicious and it's been there for a long time and therefore that's what makes it good and that's what keeps bringing people to it yep, absolutely um so let me ask about your decision to go to culinary school when did you know that you wanted to go to cia <laughs> um so this is a fun story um so i didn't know that i was going to go to culinary school um i remember i was a junior in high school um and my and my brother he i was kind of like basically following his footsteps like my mom's like yeah uh, you should take ap classes like him um you should get a letterman jack like him my like, oh jesus okay cool so i uh, i mean i did that and i hated academics um i really did because i just found it boring and i didn't know what to do so what happened was i reading my ap history book which i hate history it's really boring um I know it's pretty ironic too because I just talked about like the history of food. Um, so I was reading like an AP history thing. I kind of put it down and then I was flipping through the TV and I saw, I believe it was like the very, the series premiere of Top Chef. So yeah, I was just like, oh wow, that looks fun because, you know, people are moving around, they're cooking food and it just looked really fun. Um, and at the time too, I was playing tennis for the tennis team. So I'm just like, I really like the whole camaraderie aspect of it, high activity. And I feel like I could be involved. So I wanted to do that. And then I went to my home ec class, uh, my mentor, uh, Peggy Jacob, she was just like, um, yeah, so there's this program called uh, Careers Through the Culinary Arts Program, aka CCAP. And there's this stack of paperwork that you need to fill out if you want to go for like a culinary scholarship. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? Um, because I also didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. Like I'm applying to like UCs and I'm not getting accepted. I didn't want to go to state school either because that didn't seem like the cool thing to do at the time. So yeah, um, I just kind of put in the scholarship. And then the next thing I know, I'm very fully dedicated to this competition so if I wasn't if I wasn't playing uh tennis I was practicing recipes if I wasn't practicing recipes I was focusing on the competition so it was just like one or the other and I went full focus in that um and yeah so when I did the cooking competition the final I didn't think I was going to go to CIA. I was actually ready to go to Johnson and Wales. Like my mom and I checked out the campus in Denver and I was just like, yeah, I just want to be away from you after a while, whatever. And so Johnson and Wales, is that? Is it, it's, it's another uh, culinary school. Okay, have, okay. Yeah. So I was just ready to go to Johnson and Wales because that was one of the scholarships they offered. I just didn't think that I was good enough for like CIA because it's like, the UC and the state school situation, right? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't think I was just going to get in. So I did that. And then they, I came back for the interview and they asked me, hey, do you want to go to the CIA? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd love to. And this is the um, owner emeritus asking, or the president emeritus asking me, I'm like, yeah, sure. If you give it to me. 
I couldn't even eat breakfast that day because just the thought of going to CIA itself was just like so grand. Um, it's like the OG of culinary school. So like, go to the OG, like, great, let's go. So they called my name and I was just like, oh man, I'm going to CIA. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long, how long were you at CIA? Um, I was at the CIA since uh, my start date was my start date was actually at 4:20, so that's also a fun fun joke to share because I can't make that up like ever. Um, so I started there on 2020, or not? No, not 2020. Oh my god, uh, 20 like 2009 or 2010, something like okay. that. Um, and then I was there until 2013, so okay. on like two and a half, three years, something of that essence. And then, so right after, so right after CAA, what did you do right after? Um, in between, um, this is also another surprise that happened in my life. Um, so originally, my scholarship to the CIA was only like an associate's degree. So once I graduated from my associate's degree, which is like a year and a half program, I went back to LA and I got hired on to run like a bar like a culinary for, program for a bar. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like overwhelmed. I was just like, nope, I feel like I'm sinking 100%. So then in my head, I was just like, I wanted to go to pursue my bachelor's somewhere just to get away from California again. Mm-hmm. I'll pay for it, however. So I started applying to schools like UNLV, FIU, um, whatever focused on a hospitality degree. And then... I saw this mail at CIA. They're just like, oh, yeah, um, we would like to extend your offer for your scholarship at like do a bachelor's degree. I'm like, great. I'm packing my bag and going. <laughs> no questions asked. It's free education. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why my stay at the CIA also got extended. Well, not a bad thing, right? <laughs> no, not a bad thing. Apart from it. So after CIA, uh, what did, you know, after you graduated, mm-hmm. what did you start doing? And so from 2013, what did you do? Um, it's just Broadmoor and Uchikov. Okay. Uh, I spent three and a half years at the Broadmoor, and then I spent four and a half years at Uchikov. I know it's like a very unusual resume. Like it's a very skinny thing, but I feel like the places that I've worked at and the experiences that I've had in both places are irreplaceable in my mind. Yeah. So, but I feel like that says something about you when you stay with a restaurant for that long, it, it tells you it, what, what it tells me is that you were valued. Yeah, for sure. Um, and mostly for me um, at the Broadmoor, especially when you're doing an apprenticeship that's stressful, you can quit at any time. Right. But I guess mama didn't raise a quitter. So there you go. Yeah, it it was just like one of those things where I feel like I needed to finish what I started at Broadmoor, regardless of how I felt about it, because there were moments at the Broadmoor where I feel like I was going to be let go. Um, because apparently there was one day where I left my station completely empty, another guy had to make up for it. And then the executive sous chef calls me up to his office and he's just like, Look if you're not going to take this seriously, um, here's a resignation letter, just sign it and we'll let you go. I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, I guess I'll step my game up a bit and see what happens. So I just kind of did that, put my nose to the grindstone and just kind of went at it. But at the time too, like 
when I did my working interview at Uchiko, I knew it was just like over. Like Austin was my next goal. I'm going to finish this thing and like get out of Colorado Springs. There's nothing here for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just it was just like I'm I was really hell bent in doing it. So finish it. So ahead. over over at Uchiko, I those so those dishes are very elaborate. I see. Like how many people need to work on like one dish? It seems like it's multiple people that have to kind of put those dishes together. How uh, does that work? Let me do a flashback myself. So the prep team at Uchiko consists of like 45 people a day. Um, they prep for the whole restaurant, right? Um, and then there are chefs that fabricate the meat or the fish or all the dishes there. So by default, that's already like five. And then there's a cook who has to make it. So that's six. So it's like six people going to just like couple dishes alone um, to give you that perspective because sauces take a long time to make. Like knife cuts kind of have to be, I don't know, a little bit precise. Um just like the attention of detail that goes into it requires that amount of people. So I would say around like six to seven at any given time. That's, that, that's a lot of attention yeah. that needs to go into a dish. 100%. Yeah. So you were at Uchiko for four and a half years. Um, what made you decide to shift to a, a different, to, to, to leave Uchiko? Um, yeah, so when I said earlier, um, when I started Eversol around 2018 or 2019, I forget which year, um, I started meal prepping for people at my gym and they were asking me if I could do that for them. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I started with a gym owner and then I started with like a couple more people. And then the next thing I know, I was working in the morning at someone else's house and then I was going to work for like 10 to 12 hours a day. So I think I was running around like 16 hour days at any given point. So when I was about to leave before COVID hit, like literally before South by, before everything shut down. And I was just like, well, clearly that's not going to happen. So um, my boss and I, we kind of came to an agreement. He was just like, no, um, I would like you to leave for the end of the year. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, as long as you let me do my thing and I help you out, then it was uh, mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I was working like 60, 65 hour weeks, if not more, because I wanted to keep my dream alive. And then I wanted to like keep my promise to the restaurant. I guess if we're talking about like the Broadway in relation to that, like I want to finish what I started and what I agreed on. So, yeah, um, that's what I basically did. Um, So talk us through Eversol Culinary. So what services do you offer? Just walk through your your offerings there. Yeah, so Eversol Culinary is Austin's Filipino, Austin's premier Filipino private chef experience. Um, I want to say that because I really want to emphasize the Filipino in there. Uh, so what we offer are cooking for private parties, um, slightly bigger parties, or and we do meal prep as well. Right now, I have two meal prep clients, as well as I've I've helped um, several other companies as well as a night for hire, and then I've catered parties on my own as well. And then Manila Ice or Manila Rice rather became an extension of that. So. That's what we basically do. 
So is Manila rice kind of a a, a play on Miami vice, or is that completely unrelated? A, a little bit of both. Um, okay. So when I made my Instagram username originally, it was like Manila Ice, kind of like Vanilla Ice, you know, oh, like yeah. stop collaborating with some type of thing. So then it just kind of became funny, like in conversations that would pop up, like, hey, what's your Instagram username? I'm like, yeah, Manila Ice. I'm like, oh, I get the pun. I also have a love of puns. So it just like made complete sense. So then when I made Manila Rice, it's almost like playing Wheel of Fortune or Hangman, or just like I put one letter in there and then it completely changed the dynamic. I'm like, well, it's a rice bowl pop-up. I'm from Manila. Where's the lie? Mm. So, so, yeah, so walk us through that Manila Rice. So it's a pop-up restaurant. So do you go, so where does the pop-up happen? Is it all different places or do you have a place that you go um, to restaurant? So right now it's only at Wingman Kitchens at Springdale General. Um, it happens every Tuesday between 4 to 7 p.m. Um, we have that tiny bit of a service window. And yeah, that's the only branch that we have right now. I feel like the inspiration behind it was to just, you know, bring, open up uh, another avenue for Filipino food to shine um, because there's only at least like 15 restaurants that's Filipino here in Austin. And I kind of want to throw my name in the gauntlet. So I just want to see what's up. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, can you? I want to talk about the menu that okay. that, uh, that you have uh, okay. at Manila Rice. Um, just walk us through your menu first. Let's talk about the app. So, is it like a three course meal? How does that work? So, the menus for Manila Rice work like a rice bowl. Um, so, there's always a side of rice with it, right? Like people say, rice is power. So, uh, there's rice, and then there's uh viant to it like uh pork vegetable starch type of thing so the first menu that i did was like kare kare chicken adobo um pancit canton and then forget the other one uh it'll come up to me um and then yeah so we did that and then yeah we just kind of Kind of started doing rotating menus recently. I did Jollibee, so like the sweet spaghetti, uh, the pancit palabok, um, burger steak, fried chicken, and then yeah, we're kind of like in the stage of trying to do different menus and collaborations with different chefs around the city. Uh, just okay. because... so. Oh, sorry. So, okay, I, I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to ask about what your different themes. So. You had one theme where it was traditional Filipino. It was karakare, which is the oxtail peanut butter uh-huh. soup. And then you had adobo. Was it chicken adobo or, or pork? Uh, chicken adobo, yes. Chicken adobo. And then you had the, the, the pancit. So those are all traditional. Then you did a take on Jollibee. Jollibee is a very, for those who do not know, Jollibee is a, is a huge fast food uh, franchise in the Philippines. That is actually uh, is very highly regarded uh, by a lot of Filipinos here in the United States. I know we would stand in line for sure, Jollibee. Um, so you did the take on Jollibee. You did this the uh, Filipino spaghetti, right? Yeah. 
Okay. For those who do not know, can you tell tell people what is the difference between Filipino style spaghetti and regular spaghetti, like traditional spaghetti? Okay. Um, so regular spaghetti, as I understand it, is a spaghetti is a type of pasta, and the sauce that's traditionally used is something with tomato, basil, onions, and garlic, right? Cooked down, very simple thing. You eat it in Italy. The difference between Filipino spaghetti is that, as I've learned, is that it uses banana ketchup instead of tomatoes, and as well as it uses hot dogs. Um, some people call it sketty, but um, historically, as I've seen it, or the way that I've heard it, is that the Philippines did had a tomato shortage. So instead of doing spaghetti with tomato sauce, they did it with banana ketchup, and that's where it came from. So okay. Filipino spaghetti has a lot more sweetness to it, and some people are a little they feel really weirded out by it, especially in Western cultures. Yeah. But it's really fun to see the reaction when they first eat and they say, oh, okay, this isn't half bad. So I'm like, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. But here, so here's what I found. There are people who do not like it at all, mm-hmm. but kids love it. All the kids love it is what I've seen. I see just anecdotally, kids love sweet spaghetti. The adults and that, that some of them not so much so it's, it's i think it was like 50 50 there's some who really love it and there's some i think it is pretty polarizing yeah i seen. it's actually it's actually a good thing because you know um i think jollibee was designed for kids right like i had my first birthday at the jollibee so you want people there who are younger to like keep buying their food so I think sugar naturally kind of like became that quote unquote drug that kind of kept them coming back like you know what like Whataburger does I suppose with their mushroom burger or whatever nostalgic brings them brings them there um, but yeah, I really love the Filipino spaghetti question because it's almost like a, a pineapples and pizza type of debate. It's oh, just, yeah. Do hot dogs belong to spaghetti? Some people are like, yes. Yeah. Some people are like, no. No. So, who knows? I'm a, yeah, I'm more of a, I guess I, I kind of like the, the traditional. But yeah. I love everything else. Like, I'll eat everything else with spaghetti. I'm like, uh, I'll have some. Now, so you said you did a Jollibee style fried chicken? Yeah, um, fairly similar to it. Um, I feel like I've eaten a lot of Jollibee in my life to know flavor profiles. And what I've observed about it was that it was very peppery, which isn't a bad thing. Like, I love a good peppery type of thing. So I kind of built off that and then see where it went and people liked it. So, Okay. Now, so you did the Jollibee thing. Did you... Uh, and you, you just talked about the entrees. Do you do desserts at all? Um, I haven't done desserts yet because I don't feel like, I, I mean, I don't know. I just haven't done desserts yet because I feel like I don't have an avenue for it. Either that or I'm going to have to reduce my savory menu into like three items and then two dessert items. Mm-hmm. I just don't know yet. Um, there's to me like not a lot of people showing up so far and 
as much as I want to have a diverse menu, I have to think about like food costs as well, as well as like labor, time I spend in doing things. So those are things that I'm thinking about as well as a business. Like if I could get people to come out, then yeah, I'll diversify the menu. But maybe I should think about it in reverse. Maybe I should just do it in a smaller scale and then see who comes out and then just keep it there and who knows. Like Okay. So so I want to go back to when you have this. You have this every Tuesday from four to seven. Mm-hmm. How how do you get the word out? Uh, I'm getting the word out right now through Instagram and social media. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to open up a lot more social media channels like Twitter, TikTok, things like that, because I know those are popular avenues to like advertise things. So I want to do those as well, but in due time, probably after today. So the thing to do, and then this is what I've heard and and also firsthand, uh, you get more engagement with short form videos. For sure. Um, so anything that you could do with uh, short form video, like 15, 30 seconds long, uh, Instagram promotes the heck out of it. So that's a really good way to get exposure. And I've been wanting to check out your place. Uh, but it's, it's, it's hard for me to get out on a Tuesday because I'm about an hour and 15, an hour and a half away from you. Yeah. So it's kind of a kind of a track, but I, I'm I'm determined to make it one of these days. You were talking about, and I want you to talk about this. Your future uh, uh, pop-ups that are coming up. Uh, what's an upcoming theme that you can talk about? Uh, upcoming themes. So I've actually built this in my head a little bit. So the next theme after this week is going to be a lumpia and caldereta throwdown. So I have a friend, her name's uh, Joanna Calloway from uh, Lady Lumpia ATX. Okay. Someone that you might want to put her in your radar. Oh, sure. So yeah. where, where's, uh, where's Lady Lumpia at? Uh, Lady Lumpia. Oh, in Austin? Yeah, in Austin. Oh, cool. Yeah, so she she's a friend and... Um, we want to do Lumpia Throwdown together just because it's like, I want to see who's Lumpia's better. I'm feeling a little competitive. Sure, why not? And, you know, again, it just kind of like brings more people to the pop-up. So okay. that would be like the first theme that we have. It's just like, um, we'll give them raffle tickets, see who you think has like the best uh, Lumpia and Caldereta combo. Then we'll do a raffle. If you, if I pull your name out, you probably get like a whole set of meals Thank you for coming. Okay. So, so how, yeah. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So your lumpia. So lumpia, for those who don't know, is, is an egg roll. And it's typically the lumpia in Shanghai, which is uh, typically pork and maybe some ground shrimp. That's the traditional. Mm-hmm. What What's your filling like? What do you use as a filling for your lumpia? Um, so I used to make lumpia for family meal. <laughs> at Uchiko mm-hmm. all the time. So I would I would season it lazily, but in a good way. So okay. I would put a bunch of uh, cilantro, green onions, and um, pickled ginger, like the ginger that you use for sushi. I would just blend it in a Robocoop and then kind of like mix it in with the ground pork and then start wrapping. Like, really, that's it. I've never heard of, of uh, the green onion... Absolutely, but um, yeah. You know, wait, you said cilantro. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never heard of adding cilantro to pork. That because, is a Filipino dish. Because when we think about Filipino food, right, um, it has multiple influences from Chinese, Spanish, American, even like Muslim influences as well. So there are so many things coming from it. And the thing in one of the first acronyms that I learned in culinary school was GGS. When we were doing our cuisines of ages, GGS means ginger garlic scallions. Okay. So to me, GGS is something that's normally used in Chinese cuisine. And when we do lumpia, which is an egg roll, it's a Chinese thing. So it just made total sense to me to add those three things in like a farce and then roll it up into an egg roll and fry it. So that was kind of like, it became my lumpia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the lumpia, so you're saying it's going to be a lumpia throwdown, you're going to compete against another person. So would it be like, how would that work? Would it, somebody be like judges or like how, how, how do you envision that working? Yeah. So how I envision that working is uh, we're going to sell, we're going to sell tickets for it. So by default um, for like, let's see, I want to say like maybe 60 bucks. Uh, people get like two plates of lumpia, one from me and one from uh, Joanna. And then another plate of caldereta from myself and her, and it will be like a $60 value. And then they would get a ticket if they vote which way to go. Like we would put uh, two jars or containers to put their ticket in to see who has like a better lumpia or a better caldereta or both. Okay. And then uh, we'll do a raffle and see what okay. happens. So caldereta, so for those who don't know, that's a, like, that's a beef stew. And, it's, and it is, so what do you put on your caldereta? Um, I remember my dad specifically, his was watery, which I didn't mind. It just got all over the rice. Um, but uh, basically, it's tomato sauce, liver paste, onions, garlic. Um, cook it down like a lot. And then salt and pepper. And then um, roasted potatoes, peas, and uh, whatchamacallit. Like some herbs as well. So. Okay, that's a very interesting. You roast your potatoes because typically people just add it to the to the stew. Mm-hmm. Uh, either you're, they saute it first and they add it later, but you roast it. Yeah, for sure. Because when you roast something, right, it kind of adds their, that. Let me get nerdy here real quick. Um, a mild reaction, which is pretty much like when you brown a protein or a vegetable, rather. Mm-hmm those those uh burnt sugars help flavor your stew a lot better because it's like giving it that extra so that's why i like roasting my vegetables as well and then it cooks down with the stew so it's a lot more intense flavor Mm, yeah i've actually tried that i've actually the the roasted uh roasted potatoes i cut them up into not really cubes but really chunks of potatoes and um yeah, but do you also do that with, with other vegetables? You don't do that with the... Do you, do you add green pepper towards oh, yeah. the end to keep um, it crunchy? Or do you, do you actually make that softer? Oh, um, there's two ways to go about it. But I blend in uh, red pepper into mine as well as have chunks of it. Because okay. blending in red pepper into the sauce as a liquid actually like helps it 
with that flavor. But then when you add that uh, red bell pepper to finish, it does add that texture as well. Okay. You know, what I've never tried is actually the, the like roasted pepper. Yeah. And I mean, add, add that on like charred red pepper. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating about it is that when I went through like, um, what do you call it? Centrally French kitchens or like French kitchens like that, we learn cooking techniques. So then when we take those techniques that we've learned and we apply it to other foods like caldoreta, where you can add a roasted pepper or like roasted potatoes and like how it imparts flavor, just the understanding of technique and food definitely helps elevate that um, that experience for the guests. So um, that's what I normally aim for. Yeah, someone asked me if my uh, my food was fusion, and absolutely it is. Like I turned that down for like a while because that kind of had such a negative connotation. But then again, it did. And, and I want to I want to I want to uh, elaborate on that. Uh, when people say fusion, some people are like just really lazy, and they'll say, "Hey, I'm gonna put like okay uh, some Filipino food and tacos in a taco shell. That's fusion food. Like it's it's really lazy, right? They're just taking two things that don't really go together and, and just put them, bashing them up is, oh, that's fusion. It's like, no, there's there's nuances, right? There's things that you need to take into account that they, not only are you putting two colors together, they need to complement each other, right? So that's my definition. What I feel the definition of, the, of pure fusion food is that putting those two things together, it's not, well, one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals five. Yeah, exactly. So Gordon Ramsay actually like says a lot about fusion cuisine. It's just like, don't make confusion, make fusion food. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. So like, growing up also, it kind of like has that very different context of like, shoot. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if you had, what, what do you consider would be your signature dish? Like what is... Uh, if you were to be, what would you be known for? Or what would you like to be known for? Uh One one dish. Give me one dish. Sure. Um, Oh, man. Chicken adobo. Um, um, Chicken adobo is something that I've been playing around for years on end. Um, It started with my childhood. So my mom and dad were always working. Like my mom works or worked at us at Phillips Semiconductors in Laguna. And then my dad was an electrical engineer. He was just working all the time. So I kind of learned how to fend for myself. Um, and the first thing that I learned to make was chicken adobo because I ate at my grandma's and then she was, or I asked her what's in it. It's like soy sauce, vinegar, peppercorns, bay leaves or whatever. But these are things that I really didn't figure out the ratios. So the chicken adobo itself, like very first thing I learned how to do. And then I go into one of my mentor meetings at the Broadmoor where we had to like showcase how to cook something. And the thing that I did with an egg was to basically dip it in um, adobo broth and kind of like made a ramen egg and then some rice. So I'm like, okay, I did that. And then at Uchiko, um, that followed me because I was doing a turn-on shift and I had nothing else to do. So I was just like playing around with specials. Um, they encouraged us to, you know, put specials on the menu. So I'm like, great, I want to put adobo on the menu. Like, So that actually happened. And then, 
And then um, it became like a happy hour thing, <laughs> like the adobo eggs. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Because technically chicken is still an egg, right? I mean, I don't, we can go in a whole debate about that. But so, and then now um, doing or um, doing private events, I also tried to advertise adobo whenever I could. And people are really um, enthused by it because they're like, I've never had this before. It's really good. I'm like, sweet so that dish has followed me from like since 10 to now 31 so I think I've been cooking it for like 20 years and I still haven't figured it out so <laughs> so what makes the okay so what makes your chicken adobo special um let's see so recently and this has given me results um I started grilling my thighs first like or I started grilling the whole chicken leg first and then I marinate it um I just like giving the char on the outside and then marinating it and then braising it because the char is still there and then it'll just cook down as it goes so I feel like that's one thing secondly I surround it with herbs um I'm a huge fan of herbs I don't know if it's a huge thing because we put a lot of herbs in our stuff so I'm like okay yeah herbs what kind of herbs do do you put that I'm very curious oh yeah um i normally do green onions cilantro and mint um like i think mm -hmm. i really yeah that's very interesting yeah exactly so i I feel like cilantro uh, cilantro and green onion again very asian thing and then the mint just kind of gives it that like very different bite like oh this is what makes it different so yeah um that's so, just what I normally do with mine. I do something very, very similar with the, I, I I make grilled chicken adobo. What I would char it, I do the same same thing you're doing. I char, but I I would char drumsticks, and then five seconds to get a nice char, and then I take it off, and then I and then I finish it off and braising it with the, with um, soy sauce, uh, vinegar, and water, and uh, I also add. Uh, Merlot. Merlot? Yes. So okay. I, it's like a take on uh, Cocovan, you know, how they use red wine for, you know, Cocovan, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of what I use. I use that because I, I, I did like a chicken, a, a, a adobo short rib. So mm-hmm. I figured, yeah, you know, let's put some red wine in there. Let's put a Merlot in there. Or no, a Cabernet in there. And then I was like, hey, this, this this turned out really well. And then I decided, like, well, I just use use that on chicken. So I, I I so I like doing that with with the chicken drumsticks. I did it one time, and then I I put the chicken like right like <laughs> a half an inch from the fire, so it gets super charred, just yeah. like just for a little bit. So I'm really I, so I, I I I typically do that with drumsticks. I made a mistake one time doing doing chicken thighs. And chicken thighs are way fattier. So sure. I closed the grill, had it going, and said, open the, open the grill. I, it was almost like a huge explosion. Mm-hmm. And I almost, like, I think my, I lost most of my eyelashes. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it was no, it was no good. Uh, fortunately, my wife didn't notice. Uh, and, and she doesn't listen to this, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'd stop. So chicken thighs, I just use them. I I just fry them. Uh, I I I first I I make crispy uh, chicken adobo by 
um, first uh, reducing, uh, rendering the fat off the chicken thighs, then then braising it, then letting it cool down, remove the skin. I dip the uh, the chicken thighs in buttermilk. Then I bread it, then I deep fry it. The chicken skin I fry separately, so it's chicharron, and then I top it all, and then I reduce the the, the sauce. Uh, I make a reduction off of the sauce, and then I just plate it with, you know, it's crispy fried, crispy chicken adobo. Yeah, and I think that's like the beauty about food, right? It's just we can always play with it because yep. it's always our own thing. So there's yep. no one that can really tell you that it's wrong or it's right because it's exactly thing. the only thing that yep. someone determines like if it's good or not. Yep, because when we were kids, we're not allowed to play for food, play with food. So now that we're adults, yeah, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. We're the ones paying for it. So, okay. <laughs> so I wanted to go into your uh, uh, plans for the future. What is your vision for uh, Manila rice and Eversol culinary? Like, what's your? Let's go to what is your one year plan? Uh, what is my one year plan? Um, let's go with Manila rice first. So I want to do, I want to do a pop up each month, if not every, every Tuesday, but I want to place it somewhere strategically. Um, I want to treat my pop ups like lucrative events right where people want to go and such um and yeah that's kind of like what i want to do so do like one day a week one day a month or twice every month whichever and just kind of build off there um and as a chain to that i want manila rice to kind of like provide clients for eversol because it's like okay well um, his pop-ups food or his fast casual concept is good, but he also have, or I also have a lot of um, different experiences in terms of cooking. So I want to bring clients from that to Eversol to kind of just like have a personal chef service where I can go into people's homes and cook for them as well. Okay. Yeah. And then what's your five-year plan? Not just maybe not 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 just Manila rice, not just oversold, but uh, for five year plan for Dan Castro. Ah, uh, for me in general. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, so there are there's always three things that's always been on my radar, right? Um, one is to own my own business. Two is to travel, and three is to teach. So there's always levels to something, as I've learned. So, for example, when I signed my LLC papers for Eversol, I officially own my business. When I um, started going to Spain, like I started going to Spain during my bachelor's, I'm like, oh, I traveled the world. Cool. And then three, um, when I taught, like my ultimate goal is to that I want to teach at the CIA, um, probably Napa, New York, whichever. So yeah, um, not necessarily like within that range, but I'm trying to find the levels. So I guess in relation to that, um, in my own business, I just want to be established here in Austin in the next five years. Like, hey, dance like the Filipino chef that you want to go to or a chef in general, like if even if it removed the label. Um, secondly, I want to travel the world. Um, so I've been traveling like crazy this past year, like between Aspen, New York, um, Mexico, and I have like a lot more to go through. So I'm thankful for those opportunities. 
Um, but then I want to visit like Japan and Italy and more of Europe just because it's like those are the places that are in my bucket list. Huh? And then teaching, um, I just might want to open my own cooking studio one day where I just do classes. I'm kind of practice that skill and actually teach people who are in genuinely interested in learning something in terms of cooking. So that would be like the the five year. Have you thought about uh, making Manila Rice a pure brick and mortar restaurant that's open regular hours, or is that something? Is that just more of a of a kind of like a step to your cooking school to your, your other business or, or a feeder to your 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 um, um, uh, culinary business? Yeah, initially, um, I just wanted it to be a feeder. Um, but I feel like I'm more of a person that kind of wants things to happen organically. Okay. So what I mean by that is I don't have any plans for it. I don't want to be pressured into opening up brick and mortar. And then what happens is that if I do, I have to manage it fully. I have to train up people and do everything else. And then while that happens, 66% of my five-year goal doesn't happen. So that's what I I don't want to do. Um, I feel like I've been, I've been like a, huge proponent of mental health lately and I feel like the things that I'm doing right now are purely health decisions and not necessarily like business decisions so so far like my mental health's great um from where it's been um but no I just don't want any pressure from Manila Rice to like grow that quickly if it the opportunity presents itself I'll take a look at it but I'm not going to force it okay well, that makes a lot of sense, and that, and and uh, people don't take the time to really uh, take care of their mental health. Sure, right? that's a and, and it's becoming more and more apparent. I think we just put too much pressure on ourselves and trying to come up with a you know a rush timeline, thinking oh you know if we don't do it now, it's never going to happen. Uh, but you have to take care of yourself, and I'm glad that you, you know you, you're you're taking that time to make sure that, you know, things are right, that you are in the, in the proper state of mind. So, yeah, in this way, you, you, you tend to appreciate life more, is what I've uh, noticed. Because the way I see it, honestly, Gene, is that um, Manila Rice will always be there. Um, the foundation is set for it. I know I want to do rotating menus. I want to do Filipino fine dining pop-ups, clients, whichever, right? It will always be there. But the way I see it is that I couldn't give myself to people if I'm not filling on my own cup first. So if you've been in an airplane, people will always tell you that if an oxygen mask drops, you always put it on yourself first before you help out others. So that's the way I see it. Um, I mean, sure, it might seem selfish, but at the same time. No, no, I was actually just about to come up with, with to say that analogy, but you beat me to it. So uh, that's yeah. 100% correct because you, if you don't take care of yourself first, how can you take care of others, right? Yeah, I mean, that's also, I mean, that's also the Filipino in us, you know. Um, we have this knack for hospitality and we're very unconscious about it. So we give a lot, but then sometimes we forget to take for ourselves. 
And then when we take for ourselves, um, we get called selfish. So it's really weird. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, we, we are made to feel guilty. We feel guilty, right? When we, absolutely. when we don't give enough of our, we feel like we don't give enough of ourselves. And uh, I mean, short, I think long-term that has repercussions. So we have to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and that's where I'm at right now. So um, I like working hard and playing hard and that's the level that I'm at right now. And I'm not do, I feel like I'm not doing anything to disturb the peace, yep. so to say, so I'm cool with everything. Okay. Well, we are about that time for, it is time for our lightning round. All right. So, cool. so this is, you're going to be asked up to 20 questions. You have to answer it in less than 90 seconds. I actually have a timer right here. Okay. So uh, we're going to start now. Okay. Pancit Pion versus Pancit Palabok. Uh, palabok. Chicken adobo versus pork adobo. Chicken. Bukupai versus Lechaflan. Lechaflan. Salty or sweet? Salty. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in now? Oh, um, Seattle. Favorite non-Filipino restaurant? Um, Uchiko. Favorite Filipino restaurant that is not yours? Kapatad. Tapsilog versus long silog? Tapsilog. Cake or pie? Pie. Where did you go on your last vacation? Cozumel, Mexico. Favorite movie genre? Rom-coms. Uh, first celebrity crush? First celebrity crush? Um... Oh, God. Um, dang it. Sarah Drew. Would you ever appear in a reality show? I would love to. <laughs> would you ever skydive? I want to for my birthday. Uh, do you believe in ghosts? I get ghosted all the time. So, yes. Which celebrity annoys you the most? Ah, man. Celebrity that annoys me the most? Um... I guess the Kardashians. Scale of 1 to 10, how good of a driver are you? 11. Uh, okay. Oh, time is up. I have one more question for you. Okay, cool. Describe your restaurant in one word. Inviting. Cool. Awesome. You did great. You did 18, no, 19 questions. Oh, man. No, 18 questions. 18 questions. No, that's good. Most people don't, go, don't get past 17. So that's great. No, I think the celebrity question like tripped me up. I'm just like, I don't watch that much like celebrity yeah. shows. So, like, I know. Uh, this, this, these are designed so that you get tripped up on like three of them. So, okay. yeah, it's, that's by design. So, um, so let's go ahead and, and wrap up. What is the best way to go, go get a hold of you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me, um, you can email me at eversoulculinary at gmail.com or you can go to my website as well at www.eversoulculinary.com or you can slide on the Instagram at manila to underscores rice or my Instagram at eversoulculinary. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. Absolutely, Jane. Yeah, I would love to see you whenever I could. Yep. Thank you for listening to Turo Turo, the Filipino restaurant podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Salamat po at magkita tayo sa susunod. 
Thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next episode.